gathering and analyzing good data and what that means for the podcast industry. That's what we're talking about on this week's episode of Sounds Profitable Ad Tech Applied with me, Ariel Nissenblatt. And me, Kayla Littman. Thanks to Podsites for sponsoring this week's episode. Podsites, podcast advertising insights and attribution built for advertisers, loved by publishers. Go to podsites.com for more information. Special thanks to our sponsors for making Sounds Profitable possible. Check them out by going to soundsprofitable.com and clicking on their logos in the articles. Hey, Sounds Profitable, welcome to the show. You did not hear Brian's voice at the intro, and that is because today I am hosting the show and I am interviewing Kayla Littman. Kayla, hey, how are you? You know, I'm having one of those days that's good because it's two, 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 two. It's a palindrome. How could today be bad? Yes. Knock on wood, famous <laughs> last words. But yeah, today's good. How are you doing, Ariel? I am swell. I It's drizzling outside, so I'm a little concerned that listeners can hear that, but good vibes. You know, rain is rain is good. <laughs> I will give everyone a fair warning that I live near Times Square, so you will be hearing sirens. You will be hearing all sorts of revelry out on the streets. So good luck catching that on the recording. Kayla, I'm excited to have you on the show. Listeners of Sounds Profitable have probably heard your name because we've talked a little bit about your written series, Good Data, and readers of Sounds Profitable are definitely familiar because you have officially written two articles for Sounds Profitable so far. The first one came out in January and it was introducing this series. It was called What is Good Data? And the second one came out just a few weeks ago, the most sellable podcast programming right now. So let's talk about it. What is good data? What does good data mean to you? Yeah, what does good data mean to me? I think that the big thing that I was looking for when I was working with Brian and just kind of talking about how there's all these disparate reports that come out across the industry that reflect similar stories, but often are measured in different ways with different methodologies. And I really wanted to figure out a way that we could bring that together to tell a cohesive story. So for me, the first thing that you know, screams good data is something that is a consistent trend that you can point to across all of these different reports that come out from various measurement companies, from also um, platforms that run their own measurement studies. And so that's everything from a Spotify report to a Magellan or Podsites report to, you know, something that Edison or Nielsen runs in an independent capacity. Um, And looking at those trends across these different ecosystems where the measurement is happening and seeing, you know, consistency, but also finding ways to interpret that information and think about it in an actionable way, as opposed to, you know, numbers that just exist in the ether and then never really go anywhere beyond a 36 page deck. And I've worked in the publishing side of podcasts for a while. I was at Vox, I was at Condé Nast, and I would really rely on these reports to help me come up with a pitch and a market story because a lot of customers, and by customers, I mean advertisers in the podcast space, they really needed an education on what the value of the medium was. And the numbers felt really compelling, always. If I could tell something with a number as opposed to with a five-paragraph email, that was a better sell than anything else. So for me, good data is data that speaks volumes, tells a story, is consistent, 
across all these different reporting platforms. So when it comes to data and your background, you've been on the other side. You've been on the receiving end of data for a while. What made you want to pivot to understanding and analyzing and figuring out how other folks can take this data and use that for their reports? What felt like a reason to pivot, and I'm in this weird uh, limbo, I would say, in my career where I made the active choice, whether it be part of the COVID propelled great resignation or, you know, my own personal hashtag journey to take a beat from being in that corporate setting and to really pursue things that I'd always wanted to do. And so one aspect of that in audio for me has been working on podcasting in a storytelling producer capacity. But another one was that I always was conveying the data in these various publishers I've worked at and interpreting it and, you know, distilling it to an audience that wasn't data focused, but it wasn't my full time role. It wasn't the big part of what I did every day, but I was fluent in spreadsheets. Like if you're working in a sales or a marketing capacity, you really have to understand how to run a macro or, you know, do a V lookup, do really cool pivot tables. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of everything I was doing. And I thought, okay, I love data telling storytelling. I think that, again, it speaks volumes. And I love playing with spreadsheets. And also, like many years ago, everything always comes back to stupid boy. If you read anything that I've written, even for good data, there's always some stupid boy involved. But I had an ex who was like, Oh, babe, you could never understand how to work a spreadsheet. And you know that like TikTok sound where let me show you how <laughs> like there's just that that sound in my head every time I do something cool in Excel where I'm like, it goes oh. abracadabra. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, all good stories start with a little vengeance, right? So good data is sort of a byproduct of a lot of things, but it's also a curiosity. And I think so many things start with a curiosity and I by no means am an expert, but I am a pretty logical, analytical and strategic person. And so I thought, okay, why not have somebody who's looking at this through a really accessible lens interpret these numbers? And I'm constantly talking to people at like Claridos or again, Magellan or walking through what's happening with the reports at PodSite so I understand it. And I think we all have the capacity to understand these numbers if we just had a little bit more time to do it. And one of the sentences in my first article was like, these friggin' reports are like 65 pages long. Everybody in this industry is doing 17 different jobs. We need somebody who can be almost like the air traffic controller and say, here's what's worth looking at. And here's what's worth leaving on the cutting room floor, at least for now. So hopefully I can contribute that in some small way. And again, I'm not an expert. I'm just somebody who is willing to spend the time. Yeah, maybe you're not an expert, but you can show through your writing and through your analysis that anybody can break this down, but you are the one who has currently tasked herself with breaking it down for us. And for that, we appreciate you very much. (laughs) Yeah, like just a public service, just a public service for for the industry. That's what I see it as. Air traffic control. Yeah, absolutely. I want to back up a little bit and talk about 
your experience with math growing up. Were you always a numbers math person? No, I'm not a math person whatsoever. I do think that there are subsets of the math world that for whatever reason clicked with me, but a lot later in life. Like I was never good at math. I effectively avoided taking math classes if I could, where I'd be like, oh, I'll take like an extra biology class or a theater class or something. And then just wait to see if the school district gets mad at me for not having these credits, which spoiler alert, they did. But I eventually like growing up, I went and did like a stat class because it was this sort of quick shortcut to getting out of all the math requirements that I had avoided in high school. And I did it through my community college, which I'm from California, which community college classes are the backbone of what help you get through high school. And then also, if you can, like transfer into college without having to pay up the nose for so many credits. So I took a stat class and it was almost like, oh, as soon as you put a dollar sign in front of the numbers, or you put some sort of tangible real world, real world (laughs) component about how these numbers could be applied. um, I was acing those classes. And prior to that, I was not I was not a good student, but as soon as it was like, oh, you little capitalist. (laughs) I know I'm raised by a stockbroker. So I think that might be part of it. But yeah, I, I was never good at math. And I don't, I always have to double check my math because I want to make sure that I'm conveying things correctly. But yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think it's a a story that a lot of women have where they're not encouraged to do math or think about things in a mathematical capacity. So yeah, I'm pretty open about this. I talk all the time about how I was told I was not math brained, which what does that mean? What does that mean? And it definitely brought down my confidence. And I have for years been building, building it back up through numbers and through a practical application of numbers. So especially seeing what you write about and analyzing what you write about and what it means for this industry that I'm a part of, is very, very helpful. And that brings me to my next question, which is, what is your goal for this series? You are, you're not the only woman, of course, in the podcast space talking about numbers and data, but you are doing it on a platform that has 4,000 plus subscribers. And that is making a statement of some sorts. What What are your goals? Wow, really ask the hard hitting questions, Ariel. I, I really hope that I can connect the dots in some small way, in some small capacity. Uh, Going back to times, you know, recently at publishers that I've worked at, there's a lot of disconnection between the creative sides of the house, the programming sides of the house, and the decisions being made there, and what the goals are of the business and revenue sides of the house. And I think that there's this idea there's this big idea that these numbers, because they come from typically like a Nielsen who's more consumed with running brand studies for advertisers or Magellan, who is really about, you know, the, the kind of the media radar in the podcast space reporting on where the spending is happening, that those numbers are not relevant to somebody who's greenlighting new podcasts at a studio level. And the reality is, is that we're still so small as an industry and, you know, ever growing as big podcasting comes in to cash in. But I I think the connective tissue needs to happen between those two ends and not only 
for just financial gains, but also for the sustainability of ensuring that this is not just a cottage industry. It's not just a bubble. We need business development strategy that looks not only to listener engagement, but also to where the revenue opportunity is. And I think the number stories can come from revenue, which is more my background, but they can also come from places like Chartable, for example. Chartable will tell you what's at the top of the charts that they're measuring. They'll tell you, you know, where the avenues are that people are actually finding certain podcasts. Are they coming in through social? Are they coming in through other means? I say this all um, because understanding programming trends and understanding listener behavior across these different reporting spheres will guide us to understand, okay, what is the next serial? We're accused as an industry of not having any hits, but is striving towards a big hit show like that even the point? Or are we an industry, as I think was discussed a few weeks back in a space that you hosted, Ariel, you know, is the goal to find something that is a broad scale audience appeal? Or is it to continue cultivating niche audiences of really quality, loyal listeners who come to the show for a specific reason. So it's sort of measuring all of those different things and finding common ground if you're looking at different reports. And I also think there's this huge question of international reporting. James Crindland reached out um, after I released my first article and was like, this is all interesting, but where's the where are the numbers from Australia? Where are the numbers from the UK? And my first thought was like, oh, man, if we open up this data to include what's happening internationally, I don't know if that's reflective of the U.S. market that I've played in. I'm obviously willing to look at those numbers, but you know, these different markets operate differently. So I do wonder, what's the story? Like, My goal, I guess, is to find the thread and unravel it with this process month over month and really hope to to showcase something that we weren't previously observing. The novelty receptors in my brain are ready. And so hopefully the readers are too, to figure out where the numbers take us. You know, I, I'm excited to come at the numbers from maybe a different perspective. Um, I really value and admire a lot of the folks who are, you know, from a different generation, maybe, or from a, a male perspective coming from an engineering background or coming from a more hard science background. I admire and respect them. And in my head, I'm thinking of one of my favorite people who I love um, fawning over on Twitter, Tom <laughs> Webster. Um, but I, I do, you know, I do hope too that looking around at the people that are talking about and caring about data in the podcast sphere, it's nice to be different or have a different worldview or a different lived experience, but I'm still, you know, a privileged white woman. So it's not that, that different, but I am, you know, a millennial and the way I might see these numbers or might value these numbers could be different. You're only as good as your lived experience. And that applies not only to storytelling, but also to how you would interpret data. From the two articles that you've written so far for Good Data at Sounds Profitable, what is a stat that shocked you? Ooh, this is juicy. I mean, the stat that I will, the hill that I will die on 
there's the hill that I will die on. And then there's also numbers that I'm like, Ooh, hello, <laughs> what are you doing over there? And you know, it's like, it's me in the corner. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, but I think, so one of the things that came out of a Nielsen report from late last year was how COVID has really propelled this lighter listener demo. And this is not news, but the idea that the growth around podcast acquisition in terms of audience acquisition is with this lighter listener base, not the super listener. And Tom will say, you know, he just ran his super listener report the other week that we look and we study super listeners in podcasting because they are the quote unquote canary in the coal mine. And I do think that's important, but I am very curious as to what this growing group of lighter listeners who really tune in three to four times a month are going to do incrementally to the overall audience of podcast listeners. Because I also, another hill that I will die on is that the biggest audience acquisition opportunity is not just people who listen to podcasts, the ones who listen all the time. It's the people yes. who don't and acquiring them, you know, it's a lot of the work that you do and the strategy that you put out in the world too, which I really admire is saying like, Hey, our marketing tactics need to bring this in, into account when we're thinking about reaching the right audience. I also am really interested in the platforms and the YouTube numbers are always staggering to me. And I think that's something that gets picked up more and more about how when we look at scale on, oh, how popular is this podcast? The download number is the biggest number that's being used. It's what factors into a rate card and figures out how much the podcast ad spots are worth. But we're not factoring all those other places that people might be listening to their shows, such as YouTube. And so there are certain shows that certainly do a killing on YouTube. But what's interesting about YouTube as an audio-only space is that it's really not flowing into that overall download goal or that rate base, if you were, of listeners. So I don't know if that answered your question. That was very tangential. But I definitely the platforms numbers that are surprising me, the number of lighter yeah. listeners, which I think is a byproduct of people listening at home during COVID, kind of moving away from a regular commute. And then, again, that the biggest audience acquisition opportunity for the next several years is building podcasts into the mainstream media diet. And it's not about, oh, I'm solely a podcast listener. That's all I do. I don't watch TV and I don't <laughs> read the newspaper. I just listen to podcasts. We're like, that's all great and good. Love those people. Keep doing what you're doing. But uh, it's about the people who are like, I consume all different types of media. And if, if it were not for like these five podcasts I listen to regularly, um, I wouldn't have my full picture, my full media diet picture. So, you know, those are the old classics, the the good ones, the good numbers to to keep in mind. The good data. I don't even think I said any any numbers, just generalizations. Yeah. It's okay. Stats as a in a more qualitative sense. We like that. <laughs> yeah. Qualitative. Tell that to my algebra teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kayla, what's your ideal? After people read good data, what do you want them to do with the information that they have just taken in? I think it really depends on the article. But for the first article, what I wanted or hoped for is that 
the reader would feel confident that they could take those numbers and incorporate them into a story that they were actively pitching. So really designed for the business side of the house or someone who works at a high level on a platform or publisher to talk about the space confidently. What I found anytime I was building out stories is, again, I'd have to cobble together something from all these different places. And I was like, wouldn't it be convenient if I just Googled podcast numbers and can come up with a reliable voice about what they mean and where to apply them? So that was my goal in the first article, which was a lot of bullet points. It was really for the marketing manager. I love bullet points. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how about more bullet points in the world? Um, yeah. yeah, it was for the marketing. For the marketing manager who was like, oh, shit, I have to build a a deck in the next hour. What am I going to put in there? So that that was for my my girlies out there building decks. Um, (laughs) And then, yeah, the second article, I think my desired audience was somebody at a high level on the programming side who could be like, oh, of course, more um, not another sports podcast, not another tech podcast. How about a health and wellness podcast or a food podcast or something that is a little bit more geared to these advertiser ecosystems that are rapidly spending and also perform really well? So merging those two things felt really important to me. And I hoped like my aspiration, I added like a vision of the group of people that I've worked with historically reading those and being like, ah, thank you for that information. I'm going to go seek out pitches for a mental health podcast because I know pharmaceuticals are spending rapidly in the space. Well, Kayla, thank you. Listeners, you can find Kayla's articles on Sounds Profitable once a month. They are called Good Data and she is serving up lots of good data. And then you can take that data with you and make your pitches and make your arguments. And Kayla, thank you so much for joining me today on Sounds Profitable. Thank you so much, Ariel. You're the best. (laughs) I'm going to tweet at you. Hey, listeners, what do you think about the show? We want to hear from you. Please reach out if you have any questions or comments. We're on Twitter at Sounds Prof News, at Brian Barletta, or at Ari This and That. And if you want to send us an email, that's podcast at soundsprofitable.com. This show is recorded with Squadcast.fm, the best place to record studio-quality video and audio for content creators. Sounds Profitable uses Squadcast for every interview and product deep dive, and I encourage you to check it out. Go to Squadcast.fm for a free seven-day trial, and let me know what you think. Do you want more from Sounds Profitable? We have two more podcasts that you can explore. First up is Sounds Profitable, the narrated articles. And next, The Download, our podcast about the business of podcasting. Find links to those podcasts in the episode description. Thank you to Evo Terra and Ian Powell for their help on this episode. 